Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, hosted by Jason Barbato. Hey everybody, welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Barbato. We have got a wonderful show planned for you today, but before we do that, let's do what we always do. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to bring on to the show here our show's producer, co-host, and great friend to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, Marissa Kelly. Marissa, good morning, as we're recording early in the morning today, and how are you doing? I'm doing well, uh, wide awake. I'm a little bit ahead of you in time zone, so that makes uh, I'm more awake, awake than you, but it's <laughs> still early because I've been yeah, up yeah. for a few hours. So. Yeah, it's How great. It's great. I'm, I'm doing great. It's great to see you. It's great to hear your voice. It's great to see your face. Um, I appreciate you so, so darn much. I was wondering if you might be able to help give us a soft introduction to yeah. our guest today on the show. Who do we have for our friends to listen to today? Yes, I can do that. Thank you for letting me do the honors. We have the founder and CEO of Soccer Resilience. Their motto is trans train your game, transform your brain. So I'm really excited to talk to this gentleman and his name is Wells Thompson. So welcome, Wells. Thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Good morning, sunshine. Good morning. Um, it's not real for everyone that thinks it is. I wish I could grow a beard. I can't. Gosh, it's so good to be here. See you two beautiful people. It's oh. great. Well, so the positive gangster, as he likes to be called on the Soccer Kicks podcast, a.k.a. Oh, yeah. Sunshine. That's his street name. Uh, so, Wells, yeah, great to see you, man. Let us know kind of where are you hailing from uh, and where is Soccer Resilience kind of based out of? We're worldwide, man. We are okay. worldwide. So I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. I grew up in the Carolinas. Dr. Brad is in sunny San Diego. Yeah. Um, Jess is in Louisville. John Blake is in High Point. We're all over, man. All over. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we're really looking forward to the conversation that we have today. You know, one of the things that we want to have uh, and introduce our guests, or, or not our guests, but introduce our guests to our audience today uh, with Wells is that we want to kind of give you a little bit of the plodding along of, of the career path of Wells. Wells, a former MLS uh, player, uh, played a long time, a journeyman for crying out loud. You had a great long career here uh, playing Thanks, in our domestic league. Uh, but not only that, it's what led to the fuel and the passion that led to build soccer resilience and kind of a ga gathering some of the the really the, the the greatest minds and softest hearts around sport and so uh, really looking forward to introducing our audience to your passion uh, for the game not just in the sport of soccer specifically but for for athletes as well so uh, we're really looking forward to that today Marissa any kind of parting shots before you s go to the backstage aka the abyss for a little bit no, no. Um, you know, it's the, I, I like your energy and it's just a reminder for people to watch the YouTube video. If you're not watching sure. YouTube, because we, when he joined the stage, um, he was in a disguise. So disguise. if you're not watching YouTube, yeah. definitely check it out. Um, but yeah, I'll be back and, uh, look forward to look forward to hearing what you have to say. Wells. Thanks, Marissa. Thank Thanks, you. Marissa. Appreciate you. Hey, buddy. So uh, you and I've got to know each other, you know, over the course of the last few months. Um, and I really love what what you and Brad and John and everybody is doing. Um, but before we kind of get to what is kind of the the foundation that is soccer resilience and some of the relationships that you have there that are growing and growing your brand and things like that. I was wondering if you just might give us a little bit of background in regards to your playing career. If you can kind of start for us, like where you grew up. 
um, sports that you played, uh, the mentality that you had as a student athlete, an amateur athlete. Can you just kind of start there for us and kind of begin to paint that picture for us? Yeah, I'm a middle child. Um, you make your own conclusions of what that means for you. Um, I have an older brother and he's like 16 months older than me. And we just, we played everything growing up, man. Uh, baseball, basketball, ice hockey, actually growing up in the Carolinas. Uh, I swam, uh, I, uh, played golf, I played tennis. Uh, what else did I play? I played soccer, played lacrosse. So I played everything growing up. And I think that actually really helped me, um, the older I got. Uh, but soccer is really what I was most passionate about. So again, um, just love the game, you know, started young, four or five years old and just kind of grew with it, man. Um, so, you know, things have changed a lot tremendously in the youth club space these days. I remember our, our youth team, the, the twins, man, we were together for like 12 years. It was like the same group of guys and, yeah. Uh, just super special, man. Those are like the greatest times of your life, you know, going right. back and playing with your best friends and traveling. And, um, so yeah, man, but I, you know, I, I, um, is that what, how deep do you want me to go into that? Question? Yeah, no, I mean, gosh, the first thing I think of with that is I think of, I think of youth players today and how, how, um, formulaic everything has become, how intricate every has everything has become. And I feel that for a lot of kids, a lot of youth players today, we've kind of robbed them of opportunities like that in making the the environment so competitive so organized that you know <clears throat> every year they've got a, a different set of friends and they never know if they're on the chopping block next it's like we put kids on survivor and so they're just playing soccer from like six years old and it's, it's yeah. kind of wild um, yeah and it probably builds a lot of undue stress and pressure that doesn't need to be there um, and I think we'll probably look back on it in 20 years and go, yeah, that was a pretty bad way to, <laughs> to do this for kids. Um, well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you look at the rest of the world and, you know, I, my assumption is that England's the same way, right? I mean, it's even more so professionalized, yeah. like you're in a, it's just more cutthroat, you know? So yeah. I, I think it's, uh, I don't, first of all, I don't pretend to have many answers, uh, I think it's very difficult. I have kids yeah. myself. I've got three young boys and I'm trying to get them into sports. And I tell you what, just signing them up for sports is a full-time job. Yeah. I'm like, holy moly, you missed the deadline. You're sure it's not good. Yeah. 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 Well, wait till you have to get them in three different places at the same time. It, <laughs> uh, it gets, uh, it gets very creative in your Sherpaing of your kiddos and schlepping them around town. Um, so kind of well, yeah, growing up just real quick on that, man. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, I appreciate my parents all yeah. the time. I mean, it was me, my brother, and my sister. A big part of my story is my brother was a great athlete. Like pretty much every day of my life looked like this. Come home from school, play basketball, pool, ping pong. Right. You know, whatever, wiffle ball. He beats me. I chucked the ball at him because I was mad and he beat me up. And I'm yeah. like, man, the amount of lessons that I learned during that process. Like I really <laughs> attribute a lot of my success to my brother because he beat me up all the time and I deserved it because I was a punk, but uh, <laughs> it, taught, it taught me resilience, man. It taught me how sure. to get up. It taught me like, I don't know. I just think I had an advantage because I was the younger brother, you know? Yeah. And, um, but, but anyway, back to my parents, like they're just the unsung heroes and all this. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, I will be there hopefully one day because I hope my kids play um, and I hope my life looks like that, but I just can't imagine. They, they, they trekked me everywhere. Me my brother and my sister. Yeah, it's always interesting, you know, every every professional athlete kind of has a different 
pathway, a different, a different way that they got there. Um, as you kind of, as you kind of look from maybe at the youth or like the amateur level of kind of what that pathway kind of started to look like as, as it started to shape, you know, you said you had a, a very multi-sport or multi-athletic discipline, well-rounded athleticism kind of coming into and, and falling most in love with soccer. Um, how did that kind of start to take shape and where did you kind of start seeing this as becoming like a viable opportunity? Like where you're like, yeah, as far as pecking order goes, this is where I'm most successful. And this is, I got to start putting more eggs in this basket. Like, what did that look like for you? Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Hold on. I lost you one sec. Um, it's so I remember I told this story for the first time the other day. My dad reminded me of it recently, but when I was 11 years old, we went down. Did you know I won the um, Charleston, South Carolina soccer tournament when I was 11? Did you know? No, that? but congratulations. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. you. Don't know. So, that. I didn't see the trophy so behind you, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So and, and I scored our teams, uh, 11 of our teams, 13 goals. And my dad says, and I don't really remember this, but we got home to, to uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where I grew up. I think my dad actually either took me out of school or he picked me up from school and took me out to to uh, to get something to eat. And mm -hmm. and, and it was a, my dad said it was the first time he realized that there was something special in me. Like I had a gift for soccer. Right. Okay. And I had a drive and I had a competitiveness. And I remember my dad shares it and I'm going to butcher it. But like my dad wasn't like, hey, you're going to be the best man. You're going to be a superstar. He was like you have a gift wells and that you can use the gift to give back and love other people. And so yeah. I just remember, like, I don't remember that, but like the messages that my parents instilled in me from a young kid were just, I just know that that's impacted my life today. Um, yeah. And, and I, I can't express just how thankful I am that I have great parents that love me like that. Like my parents never, you know, my dad rarely yelled, during games like he he would sit sit away by himself my parents never pressured me they never made me feel like i had to compete to earn their approval like it, it was just so thankful about that but what did, what did the landscape yeah. look like so i was obviously a talented player but i tried out for years for odp that was a big thing back in the day right odp yeah and i never yeah. made yeah. it and i remember getting those letters in the mail and like crying like michael jordan did when he lost when he got cut from high school sure. and uh, but i kept trying out and uh, my dad says it's political, whatever it was, I just didn't make the team yeah. and it sucked. But yeah. no doubt that those sucky moments and, yeah. you know, that those things taught me a lot. Right. Yeah. I had older to, brother I, punching you in the face, older brother named ODP. Yeah, <laughs> it did, man. It had a choice. Yeah. And I think we, you know, we have uh, more of a choice in most things in life than we probably realize. But I had a choice and it was like, hey, man, quit. Don't even try out again or keep trying out. And so I, I right. kept trying out for a couple of years, never even made it. Um, so, you know, when I look at my youth career, it's a little bit of an underdog story. Winston Twins are young club or a uh, smaller club. We're competing against the Raleigh's and Charlotte's who are big clubs. And so, um, you know, I've always had a chip on my shoulder and I still do. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you said, I really hope that the parents and even the players that were listening to this podcast hear what you said as far as parent participation on the sideline. Because once we start getting into why I think soccer resilience is so vital is that it doesn't only just talk to players, but you're, you're also reaching out to, to, to deal with the sports mindset for parents, healthy, yeah. healthy boundaries. And that's not, that's not usually where we land as parents. Um, yeah. We usually are very engaged 
We applaud the effort. We, we want to see success. And when we don't, there's disappointment. Your kids feel that. My kids feel that. We have to talk through that and stuff like that. And I want to get there. I want to get there. But so as you, uh, as you are, you know, uh, I love what you had said that like seeing and hearing no from ODP is not something that broke you or broke your belief in yourself or at least your belief in the dream that like you've got more to give in the game. You, you want to be able to participate and you're not going to take no for an answer. There's right ways and wrong ways to not take no for an answer. Some people, um, some players take no for an answer and they get angry and it really causes their game to decline. Can you talk a little bit about in the next stage of your playing career between you and the ball, you and you in the back of the net where being told no actually helped propel you to do greater things? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I don't really know. Oftentimes I have a hard time finding the words um, or just um, being able to describe um, the experience like it really was. But man, I don't know what it was from a young kid. I was driven. I was driven to be um, to excel in sports. Um, I remember waking up at like five in the morning with my dad to go running. I'd ask for like ab rollers for Christmas. No joke. I'd come home from middle school. I still have the. No joke. I still have the VHS. Yeah. I wonder if I have it down here. Um, with the eight minute abs, um, I used to come home sure. in middle school and do eight minute abs in my basement, like every day. And I'm um, like, yes, we, you know, who asked for an ab roller for Christmas when you're like 10? Um, I, I, they're still at my parents' house, like an That's attic funny. up there. <laughs> did it work? Like, did you have like, did you have great abs? Was it no. like, was it the real deal? Uh -uh. No. Okay. Did I mean, not have no. great abs. Did not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, the experience sucked. I don't think I was like consciously in the moment being like, I cried and it sucked and it, and it was a process to work through. And wait, you uh, cried about the abs. What are we crying about? No, I, yeah, that too. But <laughs> I was like, like really upset about not making ODP, you okay. know? And yeah. um, my parents loved me through it and, and, and helped me. I don't think it was like consciously like, you know, this is, I'm going to use this for my good. You know, I think it was just like, it pissed me off. It pissed me off and made me mad and made me work harder. And, you know, you could see that chip on my shoulder anytime I played. And I think that's really what a lot of people, um, coaches, parents, um, scouts related to was just my desire to win and my passion to play the game and to not take a play off and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, the next stage of my career was um, not a great part of my career. I mean, yeah. you know, I started experimenting with drugs and drinking from a very young age, 11 years old, 11, 12 years old. So by the time I was 16 years old, it was actually interesting enough. My mom will tell you that the straw that broke the camel's back was when I told her I wanted to quit playing soccer. So I wasn't living, but 16 years old, I was in high school, right? I wasn't living at home. I was living with my best friend in his grandma's two-story apartment. I literally wanted to be known as like, I thought I was a gangster, man. I was a, a freaking, you know, four foot five, bowl cut, wore a shroom necklace, listened to Tupac and Biggie. And yeah. uh, I thought that's what no life was about. You know, yeah. like it yeah. was, I just wanted to be cool and I wanted to fit in. And, and there's a lot that's going on there. Sure. Um, but my, my parents, um, they intervened and, and they got me shipped off to a, um, basically a school for troubled kids for a year and a half. Um, so 16 to 18, I was in a lockdown facility in upstate New York. 
that's like pivotal years of your life, especially when you're trying to go play in college, you know, we were yeah. working with the St. Louis city, uh, MLS next teams recently. Mm -hmm. And I was like, guys, every single one of you is like 12 billion times ahead of me right now, because you know where right. I was, I was in a lockdown facility. I couldn't use the bathroom by myself. Like if somebody had to watch me, you know, like yeah. you will be okay. Use yeah. that to, uh, to tell yourself, to encourage you. So, you know, that was really, I, I didn't like any day that I was gone, but it was one of the greatest things that ever happened mm. to me. So, well, gosh, I, I, two things that you said that I want to kind of touch on is, is one, you talked about failure in, in playing. And, and what I think is, what I think is so important, and I, and I think it's an important part of your story, Wells, um, I think both things you shared is, is, is really pivotal to your story. Um, because this is where the story begins to change for you is one, your parents allowed you to fail. Failure is not a shortcut to success. Failure actually helps pave greater success for your youth player, for your kids. It's okay for them to fail. It's okay, okay for them to react and interact with their passion and be faced with their own like uh, inability to achieve everything that they want whenever they want. They have to be able to be taught how to push through. And that's where we really find the qualities of our heart and our character and, and who we're going to be carved out. Now for you, you know, 11 to 16 years old, that, that didn't necessarily work itself out in the best way possible at the time, right? You turned right. to escapism. You turned to, it like ignoring the the underlying thing that was really there in dealing with that failure in a way that was super unhealthy for like all of your relationships and even your relationship with yourself. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but that's just how I'm kind of pulling it well, together. Yeah. Well, one thing that comes to mind too is my, my and I mentioned it briefly, but my dad said it was political, like whatever, someone didn't like me and didn't let me in. But my dad never told me that during the time. My dad never gave me a reason or an excuse to say, Hey, you should have made it because of this. Yeah. Um, but my dad would will tell you now, like guys, people would come up to my dad after games and be like, "Is that your kid out there? Is he not on the state team?" No, yeah. he never. He, like it, he didn't. Not only not make it, like he didn't make it past the second round. And so I just feel like my parents never gave me an excuse. You know what I mean? Yeah. They were they were just like, "You gotta you you gotta deal," with, which is very hard, man. It's really hard oh. to do because our natural yeah. inclination and instinct to just want to save them. You know. Yeah. And to make it happen for your kid, because what that's what we're told being a good parent is, is like, well, if you don't go make make success happen for your kids, then I mean, gosh, do you even really love them? You know, and what we do, that's that whole coddling thing where we're, we're actually we're manufacturing success and it's temporary, but it's not setting up your kid long term. Um, I know for my girls, you know, there's definitely teams that I would love for them to be able to play on. The, the reality is, is they just haven't earned the ability to be able to be on those teams. And not every kid needs to be on the best team all the time. Yeah. Sometimes your kid needs to play on the second team or the third team. That's just where they're at. And that also is kind of where they need to be right now to grow and to get better. That's kind of where they're landing. And it might be the place that they always play. My kid might might always be on a third team, but that's okay. As long as she's playing the game and she loves it, she's making friends, she's learning leadership qualities, that's okay. Not everybody needs to have, not everybody needs to be an ODP or needs to be in the DA or needs to be in ECNL teams now. Yeah. You know what I mean? We just want, I mean, at the end of the day as a parent, Wells, and you know this now, like thinking for your boys, right? I just want my kids to be healthy. 
Like, yeah. and, and, and emotionally and physically, I mean, I want my kids to have six minute abs. So we have this VHS. <laughs> not eight minutes. Six minutes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, I would, not eight yeah, I would, no, see now it, it used to be eight minutes. Now we can do it in six. Well, okay. so <laughs> well I would look, I, I told everyone before I had kids, I said, I just want my kids to be happy. That is a freaking lie. I want my yeah. kids to be the best athletes they can possibly be. I've been that. I've been that like uh, c- crazy, for lack of a better term, bananas parent. That's like f- I flipped my lid and I've I've taken it out of my kid because I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't know how important uh, my kids being athletic was for me and my yeah. identity and all that yeah. stuff. Like when I look at my life, soccer gave me everything. It really did. I mean, yeah. I was a, I was an idiot growing up, but people still liked me because I was good at soccer. Like it took me places. Like, yeah. you know, if I sucked at soccer, there's no telling where I would have been in my life. But anyway, looking back on my life, like I've literally, this sums it up for me, Jason. I've done everything to screw up my life. And Jesus has brought me through all of it. Like yeah. literally, I can, you can't be like, hey, Wells, how did you become a pro? Like, man, I have no freaking clue other than to explain it. <laughs> sure. It's like, God did it. Like I did, I didn't, yeah. I did everything in my power to screw to sabotage. it up yeah. and it just kept coming through, you know, and what's yeah. really cool about this. I'm glad we got to this at the very beginning of the podcast, because I usually forget about it because we go into Wells. What did you do? What is your story? But like, man, my story is nothing without my parents, without my family, without all the coaches in my life. Like I had some great coaches that loved me, that told me the truth, that pushed me. Yeah. My teammates, man, my teammates I played with for years and years, like I'm nothing without them. So I'm just thankful to have all those awesome influences in my life. Yeah. And it's great that you can look back on that. And, and so, so thinking about you, you know, not being able to be unaccompanied to go to the bathroom. Right. And, and to be in upstate New York and needing some pretty severe intervention, not just to save your playing career. Right. But in but in a lot of ways to help save your life. Yeah. So that you actually had a life that wasn't going to be incarcerated, you know, in your adult in your adulthood yeah. and or at the end of uh, and or the end, like in the bottom of a ditch. Right. Yeah. So. Teenagers are hard, man. I got a teenager. I'm, I'm going through like, you know, I'm, I'm learning that now as a parent. Right. Teenagers are just ch- tough in general. And we want to carve out that independence and we want all the responsibility without any of the life experience or maturity. And all of our friends are geniuses and our parents are morons. Right. I'm learning. Th- I'm learning that. Like I'm learning like, wow. Yeah, my okay. Kids, my gosh, kids are already used- there and they're under. Yeah, I used to. Oh, that's terrifying. Uh, I used to think, I used to think like that. My gosh, how did I ever grow out of it? So I, I think along those lines, especially for youth players, right. There's, there's, gosh, we're dealing with it. Even in the national team, you know, there's a player right now, Owen Odasawi who plays for club Bruges. He kind of just like quit soccer, wanted to pursue like a modeling career. And everybody's like, what's going on with this guy? He stopped showing up to practice like he's really wrestling. And what's been really cool is like even over the course of the last like four or five months, like he's he's kind of checked himself. He's kind of like figured it out a little bit. And he's started um, he's now started back training again with the first team back at Bruges. And it's actually like a really cool story of how he was able to go from free falling sometimes to just getting his bearings again and, and get the ship steered back in the right direction. What talk about that with me a little bit, talk about being incarcerated, being in isolation, being out of your comfort zone, having to be told what to do left and right. But basically 
having some, not just free falling out of an airplane, but realizing there was someone on that had your back, someone on your back that had that parachute that was going to, that was going to not let you crash. Like how, and then, and then helping you kind of find the horizon and get your feet back on the ground. T tell me, tell us a little bit about like that, that process for you. Yeah. Well, I didn't think my parents would keep me there. Minimum stay was 18 months. <laughs> and uh, I was for sure. I was like, they're taking sure. me out of here. There's no way. And this tells you a little bit of just where my mindset was when I went there. Um, I, I made a, I was passing notes to a guy named Anthony Vignola and our, our, we were going to run away together. And we were going to, our, our plan was to, there was, it was in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York. Like I'm a Southern kid thinks like everything in New York's New York city. There's a lot of country. Sure, up sure. There, country, yeah, country yeah. Life. And our plan was to go to the, um, the, uh, the cow field that was nearby and get, dig up mushrooms for, under the cow poop and trip. That was our plan to, to escape. And so that was like, well, you're an it, man. Like you can't make that up. That is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So our, our notes got discovered. They took our shoes away and those sorts of things. And um, when, <laughs> when, I learned, <laughs> when I learned my parents were serious, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm smart. I'm pretty smart. And I learned that the, the sooner I just, you know, followed the rules and, and, and obeyed, like I was going to be better off. Yeah. And um, I had the only uh, sponsor, like uh, mentor in the school that that could allow me to do certain things. And mm. so this is when I think of like my life and how, you know, I didn't orchestrate it. I didn't get asked for that mm. sponsor, but he ran the school. And so he gave me permission to run circles around. Um, it was like our homes um, every morning. And, or before every meal, actually. So I'd wake up early, wake up at like five, go run laps before like seven o'clock breakfast. I'd run like laps before lunch. I'd run laps before dinner. I was the only person in school that was allowed to do that. And I did it all the time. So I, I don't know, man. I just remember like that school is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. If that if I didn't go to that school, I would have been in a ditch somewhere. I'm thankful my yeah. parents had the resources because a, a school is expensive, right? Like, um, I'm just so blessed and that's what I'm trying to do today. I mean, I, I believe that we go through things, not just for ourselves, but for other people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's not just my playing career that, that, which is why I'm so passionate about soccer. Zane. It's my life, man. Yeah. I, I'm an, I'm an, I still am an idiot and I've been an idiot and I just trying to share, you know, my experiences and, um, give kids from, you know, it's like, look, man, I don't want to wake up every day and talk about soccer. I really don't, but it's my purpose. Like yeah, I'm yeah. trying to turn my pain into purpose. I mean, oftentimes like, and I, and I'm working on this, um, and just tell me if I'm going off and too many squirrels, no, but like good. soccer can be a very painful topic for me. Very painful. Okay. Like, yeah, we've talked and, about, you and I have talked about that off, off the show, obviously, but we've talked about you hated soccer and I, and I, well, I want to get there because the the sporting side of it, it's it's cutthroat. You know, you talked about like how the in in England, right? How they deal with. It. I mean, they start they start you know being cutthroat at four years old. Like it's yeah. just it's it's just it's an it's an absolute you know battle of you know survival of the fittest type deal. But before we get to falling out of love with soccer, you you found your way back into the sport. You know um running laps around your you know juvenile penitentiary uh facility if you will or your re-education um your re-acclimation into being a functioning member of society um 
and you you started playing again. How did you start playing soccer again? Yeah. Going from I haven't touched a soccer ball in 18 months plus um, to hey man, can I try out for your team? Like where where did you go? What did you do? How did that how did that happen? So believe it or not, the facility I was at did have a team. So we did play a little bit. Um, as long as you behaved and you know, we're on good terms with the school. Um, did you have shoes when you got to play or yeah. Not to have okay. okay. Um, yeah. So I teach I, you to be fast. Yeah. My parents, uh, they knew I wanted to play college soccer. So I turned 18. Um, I'd been there 18 months. I graduated while well, I came home and I repeated my senior year. And so, um, well, I came home and actually ended up shattering my collarbone in seven places, uh, in a, in a tournament down here in Raleigh, actually NCFC Jeez, okay. a miracle, but grace of God, I was supposed to have like reconstructive surgery. Didn't have to have surgery, which like expedited my recovery like six months. Um, so if I would have had surgery, it, it would have, college soccer may have been out of the question. Um, I healed, I repeated my senior year. Um, we had a tournament and I was playing in a club, local club, Winston club. We had a tournament in Tampa, you know, the Tampa Bay Sun Bowl. It's like, I don't know if it's still a big tournament. It was a massive tournament then. Okay. Well, we went down and we won it and I just played lights out. And so I, I just, I'm for, I, fortunate. I grew up like five minutes from Wake Forest campus. So the coaches knew me um, and invited me as a walk-on, you know, like I was getting recruited by some smaller schools, um, but I didn't want to go to Wake. I didn't, I wanted to go away from home. Like yeah. I just had so much it, it, being at the place that I was at changed to me. It changed me. I did. And it was very difficult for me to get back into um, society and everything I knew and my friends and the places. And I just felt like an outcast, you know? And so, which a little bit allowed me to plug into soccer and just really kind of focus on that and, and live a healthy lifestyle. Um, but, but Bobby Muse just recruited me like I was the best player in the country. I just felt appreciated and it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. So I walked on the Wake Forest and uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm it's, they told me when I was drafted four years later, they thought I'd never play a day and uh, wow. at Wake. And so I just, you know, I, all that crap that I went through really prepared me for Wake ODP. Like I was just a scrub, like hometown scrub. And they were recruiting guys, like literally guys that captained our U.S. youth national team since they were in diapers, like guys right. come in. Oh, I just got back from a trip and so, hey, everybody in our audience right now, we did have a little technical difficulties uh, with our audio, and so we jumped right back in. Thankfully, Wells remembered where we were at because we all know I have the shortest short-term memory in the history of memory care. But, Wells, you were talking about uh, the coaches at Wake Forest. You walked on there, and they didn't expect you to play a minute. But, yeah, you know, there's something yeah. that 18 months in hard, hard – Hard time upstate New York taught you yeah. about playing soccer at Wake no, Forest. So at, how'd that go? Yeah. There are everyday opportunities to build resilience. And this is yeah. an example of it. You know, it's easy to get flustered. and um, But we're building resilience, man. We're going to move on and make the best of what we got. Yeah, um, yeah I was competing against guys that kept in our U.S. Youth National Team since they were in diapers. You know, I never made ODP. <laughs> so, you know, the odds were stacked against me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just, I worked really hard. I learned pretty quickly that the easiest way to separate yourself from someone is just to be fitter than they are. And so I was super fit. I went in, I had a really good freshman season, actually made the all ACC team. Um, sophomore year was, uh, not quite as good as my, my freshman year, 
you know, a big, a big uh, challenge for me was changing positions in college. Okay. And so I was a center midfield my whole life. They put me out wide and I hated it. I really did. I hated it. And for two years, I kind of fought it. But so at Wake, like all the guys stay in summer school and I made one decision after my sophomore season um, that really changed the trajectory of my career and life. I really actually think it's the reason, one of the reasons why I became a pro, all I did was accept my position. Um, mm. Freshman and sophomore season, I'd have meetings with assistant coaches being like, you got to play me at center mid. I hate playing out wide. I can't play out wide. Total fixed mindset, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, that that summer heading into my junior season, I just accepted it. And that got me this. You can see it's the most improved yeah. player award at Wake. There we go. Um, and I actually totally forgot that I won this. Uh, found it in my closet at home. But really, I just I attribute that to a change in mindset. So what's funny is, uh, I've you know, Wells, you were kind enough to send me a little um, – envelope full of a bunch of wonderful little soccer resilient stickers that I really appreciate. But one of them that you sent me says I can, and I will. So talk to me a little bit about changing that mindset. I'm listen, players, players that are listening to this podcast right now, one of the biggest things that you can do is to actually just take the coaching that you're receiving from your coach. You might not always like it, but it's where they see you and where they need you. And the sooner that you accept, this is where I'm needed. I don't, you don't always listen in life. You don't always get to do what you want to do. You can't always be what you want to be. And sometimes you kind of just have to accept the circumstances that you're in. No one wants to talk about, everyone wants to talk about the hustle. No one wants to talk about the grind. And sometimes you just have to grind it out. And part of grinding it out is accepting where you're at sometimes and realizing it's just for a season. It's not for forever, but this is meant to help me grow. It's not meant to, to, to actually stifle me. This is where I can flourish if I just embrace it. So this little sticker says, I can and I will. Well, is that so profound? Uh, so profound. Um, and we're definitely going to rip that little clip, make sure that people get to hear that specific thing, because I think that that's really valuable. Um, when you started accepting the position that you had playing out wide, what changed for you? Other than your mentality, like what began to change as a result of that mentality for you? Yeah, I led the team in goals and points my junior and senior season. I think the I maybe had a goal or two my first year, maybe a goal or two my second year, and I just took off, man. I mean, it was um, it was it was freeing, like it, it and mindset is everything. It really is. Yeah. Like that was just a simple shift that I made, and um, I was able to excel. Right, my career yeah. took off. So, yeah. and it, before I go any further, it's hard to change positions. Um, and um, so I'm not saying it should be easy, um, yeah. but it's really how you view it, right? Is it a threat, which was a threat for me in my first two seasons because I just wanted to be known as a center midfielder because I kind of wrongly attributed the best player on every team to the center midfielder, right? And so, um, or is it a challenge, right? Is this something I can thrive at? And and, and I, I think it's easy. You know, ask like ask like you eleven, you or ask older players if they played their one position their whole life, and like how many would say yes? Not many, right? Like right. the reality is whether you whether it's aging, whether it's a change in level, you're gonna play a different position. So yeah. look at it as an opportunity. And I'll tell you one of the things I didn't appreciate about myself was my versatility. I, I really saw it at times as a detriment to my career because I wanted to play a certain position, even as a pro. 
right? They, uh, I remember uh, one game with the Revolution coach, like right before the game, was like, "Hey, you're gonna play right back," and I was like, "Okay." But inside, I was like, "Why the hell is he playing me at right back? Like, <laughs> am I not? Am I not good enough to? Am I not good sure. enough? Yeah, to be your right midfielder." Well, the reality was, and and, and you know, um, it's so funny what our brain can convince us of. But the reality was, I was so versatile that he could play me anywhere, and he right. couldn't play whoever he was playing outside mid anywhere else. So right. you're so good, I can play you. More than one place, and if somebody came in and replaced you, the only the, your next position is the bench for today. So you either get on the field and contribute, or you feed your ego and you 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 coddle your ego on and ride the pine, right? That yeah. that's a huge gift. So you go from Wake Forest, but it's very it's very hard. It's very hard because even as a pro, I struggle with it. Right, making yeah. the just transition outside back. I was yeah. like an attacker my whole life. And so yeah. then now I'm playing defense and I was good at defense, but I didn't yeah. see it as a, uh, I just, it's all about perspective, man. All about right. perspective. Come on, Barcelona style, man. Those outside backs are attackers too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, depends on the philosophy. So you, you finish up at Wake Forest and, uh, and you know, for the sake of time, cause I know yep. we're, we're trying to keep this sucker under an hour. So, you know, in a couple minutes, can you kind of talk about just, the process of your playing career. And I know that it's a sensitive topic for you. So it's not, a, it's not no, some place that I want to camp long. No, no, um, no, it's not, it's not that it's not like that. It's not like it's, okay. it's not sensitive in that way. Like sure. I, I've, okay. I've grown, I've learned actually, and I'm changing my mindset about my career because I am a work in progress. And I have yeah. a lot of like my, I told my wife, uh, two months or no, it was like one month ago. I said, babe, I said, I said I had a good career. And my wife goes, that's the first time I've ever heard you say something good about your career. Mm. And I was like, wow, that is something so wrong with me that I can't, I had nine years right. and a buddy of mine recently asked me on another podcast. Wells, if I would have come to you in college and said, Hey, you're going to have a nine year career. You're going to win the MLS cup, us open cup, super league, of title and play for nine years. Would you take it? I said, hell yeah. All day, every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that changed my life because really right. I was like, there's no way I should be like, man, I had a bad career. Like, I'm, and, and right. you know, it's funny. You get to that, like, man, one day I'm living my dream and it's not enough. And you're always chasing something. You're always chasing right. something. So Never I, enough, I, I'll right. talk about it Never all day, every day. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. No, yeah. it's good. I, I, I liked it. I'm, I loved to hear you say that. Like, I love to hear that, that work that you've done, even in the short time that I've known you of reflection of just like, wow, like, if, you, if somebody would have told you when you were in upstate New York, hey, listen, this is what your your career is yeah. going to look like. Yeah. You know, Sign you wouldn't up. believe that. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have believed that. Be like, yeah, get me out of here, you know. Um, but then but then there it was. And you were being prepared that whole time for that career. And even your, your career has also been preparing you for your post-career work that you've done as well. Yeah. And that's a little bit kind of where I'd love to kind of pick up a few precious stones as we kind of get into the conversation about soccer resilience. But if you were to glean kind of some of those real, real deep, real valuable nuggets that your playing career taught you, um, the good, the good and the bad, what would you say was uh, and are like the most valuable jewels and tools, right? That your playing career had taught you. Yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is happiness is not on the other side of success. So like, yeah. you know, being drafted doesn't make you happy. 
Um, you know, winning MLS Cup doesn't make you happy. You have to find happiness on this side of success, right? It's a choice kind of we make. Um, I just remember, you know, winning. So I won the U.S. Open Cup my rookie season. I scored the game-winning goal to give the Revs their first ever trophy. And I remember in my hotel room, I was talking to Adam Chrisman, and I was like, man, like, I, this is it? Like, I, man, I thought I could die and go to heaven, you know? Yeah. And that, that my expectations just were were so greater than reality. And so it's just that, um, you, you know, we, I, I don't believe that we find our worth, our happiness, our joy, or anything in accomplishments. Yeah, yeah, they're great, and you should chase them and go after them and be the best that you absolutely can possibly be, but it will not satisfy you. Right. So that's that. That's one thing that comes to yeah. mind. Glorious temporary, yeah. For yeah. Humans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second thing is life's about relationships. You know, I was talking to Kosuke Kimura. He's the assistant coach at Nashville, um, Nashville Soccer Club, and uh, it's Nashville SC, isn't it? Yeah, Nashville C. Yeah. Yeah. Nashville Gosh, Marissa, right. Marissa just fell out of her chair. I'm sure off yeah. camera right now. She's Nashville like, what? yeah. <laughs> and, and I said, man, like it's, and we were just talking like, no, we don't get on the phone and be like, Hey dude, remember when we won the MLS cup and went to the white house and shook, uh, uh, shook uh, Obama's hand. Yeah. That was cool, man. Okay. See you later. It's like, Hey bro, how you doing today? How's your family? Are you having a kid? Oh my God. That's awesome. It's about relationships. Yeah. So like, you know, I think about the guys and up in my drive and competitiveness and my hunger to succeed oftentimes got in the way of my ability to establish relationships with people. Right. Because yeah. if you were playing over me, you sucked. I wonder your back to break. Not really, right. But really. Right. And right. if I wasn't playing, everybody else sucked and coach was an idiot. And not all the time. I get, you know, we beat ourselves up too much. But like I would go back and be like, just enjoy it, man. Like I did, right. I did a photo shoot the other day and uh, it was for boost football. Awesome videography company. And I was like, I can't believe I used to wake up every day and kick a soccer ball. Yeah. Oh, what <laughs> sure. I would give to go back and do that because yeah. so it's, it's enjoying the process, right? Enjoying yeah. the process, just the ability to go out and use your arms and legs for things. So that's a big one. So, you have this like you have this awesome decorated playing career, right? That you're coming to you. even appreciate more now, right? Yeah. Um, and it might take you as many years not playing the game as to really enjoy the time that you did. So that that's awesome. Like you said, still doing the work. And you, you know, you shared with me a little bit about how you kind of started buying businesses, improving them, flipping businesses, and stuff like that. And then you kind of trying to buy them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> it's definitely hard. Yeah. Buying and flipping is tough. But then then you kind of stumble into some relationships and, and some some needs that end yeah. up becoming the incubator for soccer resilience. Can you talk yeah. can you talk a little bit about how that you, you stumbled into that success? Yeah, it, it was it was both intentional and unintentional. I yeah. think for you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so when I retired, I told God I never want to do anything with soccer. I was done. My whole identity was in it. I didn't know who I was by far the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. I, I still think I go through it at times, which is why I say sometimes it's hard to talk about soccer because I'd rather just talk about something else because my mind yeah. just wants to be negative and say, you could have done more. You should have done more. You sure. should have done this. You know, you should have trained your brain. Um, you should do what you're telling everybody else to do. Right, right, right. Um, so 
Yeah, I, you know, first of all, you never tell God never. And um, I was, I got a sales job and I, I didn't like my job. Well, that's not true. I was traveling the country and I learned so much, man. And um, the, there is a learning curve. I mean, I played for nine years. I didn't do anything else. So I'm competing against guys that were 23, 24 that have had 12 internships under their belt. You know, but I had the greatest bosses in the world. Chuck Chase, Ryan Nelson, guys that Ryan was a guy I met out in Colorado. And um, and I learned so much. And but I but I started to say, man, I don't want to sacrifice my family because I was traveling so much. And I started having kids, got three young boys uh, for anything that has to do with work. Like this is my this is my dream right here. Being with my kids. I want to be a present dad and be in their lives. And so I, I'm a go big or go home type guy. And I also think everything's easy, which is a blessing and a curse. Um, it allows me to step out and do things that most people don't normally do. Right. Um, but it's also really hard when I figure out this is freaking hard. Yeah. And so I, I left to uh, start learning about the greatest transition of wealth in the history of the world. $17 trillion changing hands, baby boomers retiring. I'm going to go buy businesses and run for the glory of God because I'm a very purpose-driven guy. I want to do something I'm passionate about. And I started up doing a podcast with a friend of mine, and it was called Shift. And the focus was transitioning to life after sport. I'm really passionate about it, like speaking to guys, because I believe that balance off the field creates enhanced performance on the field. And uh, I wish I could have done so much more to uh, maximize the time I had as a pro to prepare for life after sport. So we were doing this podcast. Dr. Brad Miller, who also played at Wake, he actually grew up three minutes away from me. He's way older than me, so we didn't play together. Uh, he just reached out, and it's funny to hear him tell the story because he reached out on LinkedIn, and uh, he he said, "Man, I never expected you to get back to me." Um, and then when I got back to him, we just started talking. It was and, and it was a, this was a, a pivotal time in my life because it was either I was going to go with Shift or I was going to go with Soccer Resilience, which what Dr. Brad had talked about or, or had started years earlier. And so Dr. Brad played awake, became a clinical psychologist. And was just basically using the sport to teach people practical, tangible things that they could do to combat the one constant of life. And that's crap and stress and change and struggle yeah. and all that stuff. And so the evolution of it a little bit, too, is I got into ultra running when I retired. So I've run 100 mile races, 50 mile races, 65 mile races. And I just started to realize, like, everything is mental. Oh, my God. Everything is mental, man. Like raising your kids. It is mental man you know like doing a podcast it is mental it is like mm -hmm. how we think affects everything and and, and i think too just a, a little caveat here is like if you don't separate it you don't take your brain out and go train your brain like it's all your physical right. it's all connected your yeah emotional, your spiritual it's all connected yeah. so actually the older i get and the more i'm doing suckers things, the more i don't like the word mental because i believe that it's all it's all interconnected you know we yeah. call it mental fitness actually which is sums that up um, I forget what your original question was. Um, that's nobody we're, we're talking about, we're, we're <laughs> we, you know, you were getting there. We're, you're talking okay. about basically how oh, soccer resilience kind of came yeah. to be. So, so you yeah. and Brad, Dr. Brad, yep. you know, kind of start connecting and you had a pivotal moment between either shift the podcast yep. or soccer resilience. Yeah. So I, know, I went with soccer resilience as like a part-time thing. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is cool. Like, and so the, the funny thing is, like, I don't know if you ever heard the expression, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I yeah. was like trying to buy plumbing businesses and like construction businesses. And like I get back in the soccer world. I'm like, oh, my God, my whole life is soccer. I know everybody in the soccer world. So I start getting back in and soccer resilience just takes off. There's something to be said about timing in a business and COVID hits. 
uh, that was a little bit of, of, of a reality check for me trying to buy businesses because I didn't know what I was doing in the first place. And then when COVID hit a global pandemic, the world's never seen. I really didn't know what I was doing, you know. Right. Um, so, you know, the more that I think back and look back on it, God had a plan for my life and it was it was all part of the plan. A lot of the things that I learned just buying businesses and sales and my sales job re, uh, earlier, I'm applying in soccer resilience, running this company. I tell people all the time, if you could if you could like mold the job for Wells Thompson, it would be uh, running soccer resilience. Well, and I think that that's something that's really encouraging because it's not like you you were, you know, moonlighting since you were a kid going, this is what I'm really passionate about. And this is where I'm going to be really successful. And this is my lane. Right. And I think what a lot of people need to also hear is sometimes it just takes time for your passion to actually gain traction. And it yeah. seems that it, it was, it was just a different path for you to eventually be in the place where you are today, where you're really embracing all of your experience, your, your successes and your failures. Right. Yeah, because those were ordained to, right? And and seeing that like you couldn't be the Wells Thompson you are today had you not in, walked through and endured everything that you have been. That you are you are not just a culmination of your failures, but you're also a culmination of your successes, and every step forward and every step back. Like you you can't be who you are today without everything that you've gone through. Yeah, and that has to be what propels you to be more today than you were yesterday in a in a really healthy positive way. Yeah. Um. Tell, tell us a little bit about like, what is soccer resilience? Like why, like why build, why build a business and why, why is the timing so important and necessary right now, particularly to deal with athletes and particularly soccer players, the, the mental, the mental training of soccer athletes. Like, why is this timely? Yeah. So, you know, we're in a 50, 80 year upswing of depression, anxiety, suicide, like, you know, um, and then COVID hits and, and the, um, the effects of COVID are still being felt and will be felt for a long time. So, um, sport, if you look at the stats, man, 95% of kids, youth athletes don't even play in college. 5% of them play in college. Doesn't that blow your mind? five percent and then we put so much onus on these so like it's great to have dreams and go after them but you just also need to know the odds are stacked against you you know what i'm saying and then less than that go pro maybe one percent so we just started asking ourselves what's the question of you what is the goal of you sports is it to produce these like rock star soccer players or athletes and yeah. no it's not because we're not all going to go there but we're all human beings and so um, I quoted this guy the other day. It's the great Nelson Mandela. And he says, sport is the greatest opportunity to change the world. And someone goes, dude, I like that. Can I quote you? And I was like, ah, I wish I could say I, I said it, but it's Nelson <laughs> Mandela. Yeah. Sport is the greatest opportunity to change the world. So when you, and yet, at- uh, gosh, and yet most people use war, <laughs> right? Yeah. Sport is the greatest, but yet most of us, you know, choose war instead, but yeah, carry on. <laughs> It is. So we're just like when we were when we started soccer resilience, we were just happy to happy to be in the discussion of like, hey, you guys just think about this, you know, and now we're like challenging youth clubs like you have a responsibility. You have such an incredible opportunity, whether it's with soccer resilience or somebody else, like get something, someone, an organization to come in to help you deal with the emotional, with the mental um, 
aspects of, uh, of the things that these kids are struggling through. Because if you look at COVID schools, a lot of organizations have ramped up their resilience programs or mindfulness programs and youth clubs need to do the same. It's the last classroom of the day, which I think actually the house is the last classroom of the day, but kids would rather learn things that like we, so in, we do individual work. We also do team group work. We work with parents, coaches, and players. But like if an individual, uh, a mom calls us and her, she wants her daughter, her daughter wants to work with us. Um, we'll go, is your daughter open to it? And like clockwork, she goes, because it's soccer, she's open to it. Mm. So it's almost like soccer is just the tool to change yeah. lives, right? It's just yeah. the tool to teach kids. Like, So I don't know if you knew this, Jason. I never knew this as a pro. We are actually created and designed to breathe through our nose. But the majority of the world today is a mouth breather. Uh, if you breathe through your nose, you get, yeah. I'm a huge mouth breather. The majority, mm-hmm. if you breathe through your nose, you get 20% more nitric oxide to your brain, which uh, like decreases your dehydration by 40%, uh, better sleep, less stress, lowers every single thing in your body. Like look up the, look up what it does for you. And you'll be like, so, oh my so let me share like a really, this is where, if you listen to the soccer geeks podcast, you know what Wells ta- is talking about. So we had re- a couple weeks ago, we had Rory Sutherland, who is, he was a physio here uh, in San Diego. So he, he works with uh, San Diego surf, <clears throat> their, their boys Academy. Rory on our show literally said, Soccer players need to learn how to breathe through their noses as much as, as possible in all points of training. And he goes so far as he literally, when he sleeps, he takes like surgical tape and he surgically tapes his mouth shut to make sure. And he like has all these things hooked up electrodes as he's sleeping. He's like scientifically proven. Like I get better sleep. My blood is better oxygenated. I actually recover better, faster and all these things when I do that. So Wells, we've got scientists behind what you're saying that that can verify that. And if you're a guest of the show and a host of the show and a listener of the show, we know what you're talking about, man. It, it's it's proven. We are a mouth breathing society, you know, and that's not just from an IQ standpoint, but that's just from a, also a physiological standpoint. We talked about failure not being a short or I'm sorry. Yeah. Failure not being a shortcut to success. The same way, like breathing through your mouth is a shortcut, right, to getting oxygen as quickly as you can. But what you're doing is you're actually prolonging what you really truly need, which is more oxygenation, right, in your blood. So, players, it's really parents. hard to get people to buy into that. It, you yeah. know, like, and half of me is like, come on, Wells, you didn't like. First of all, no, I don't think anyone ever shared that with me. But also, yeah. it's like, oh no, come on, give me something real. So if you're talking about like taking your game to the next level what is like one percent what is taking your game one what is five percent and you're going oh my god i can increase 20 percent of nitric oxide to my brain if i just breathe through my nose right like i don't understand why every youth soccer player is not like i'm gonna work on breathing through my nose yeah you know yeah they're like oh come on give me something good I'll share a funny little anecdote too you know because i know rory real well and he's given some really good little um I don't know, tips for my kiddos, you know, when, when, when you're winded and you're trying to recover, what's the normal position that we take when we're trying to recover our breath? Like, what do we normally do? Right. Hands above your head, like you're breathing through your mouth, like deep, long, like breaths, da, da, da. Rory told me a long time ago, he's no, actually what you need to do is you need to put your hand over your knees. You need to get your head up, a hand over your knees, head up. And then you need to breathe through your nose as much as possible. But what, what does that look like to most coaches when you put your hands on your knees? Yeah. You're weak. Yeah. You're, you're weak. You're, you're, you're... Michael Jordan. If you watch Michael Jordan, he would always put his hands 
on his, uh, and that right. was most comfortable to him. Right. Well, we now we know scientifically that you actually can recover way faster. Your breath, your heart, control your heart rate so that you can get back to being able to perform at like, you know, 100% again, you can yeah. recover faster. So if you're doing wind sprints out there, if you're doing the beep test, you know, if you, if coaches got you going out there and it's a hot human day, like it is in the summer, wherever you guys are at, you know, like, just know that that's the best way for you to recover so that you can go back to performing at a higher level than your teammates. Let them all put their hands over their head and suck wind through their mouth, be a bunch yeah. of mouth breathers. Right. And, and so here's a thing I heard from my pastor, actually, he does with his kids. I do this with my kids. It's also the fastest way to get back to your like your thinking brain. So, you're, you know, our emotions get heightened. We flip our lid, which is what Dr. Brad calls. So you're not thinking straight. That's why I got a lot of red cards and yellow cards. So if you <laughs> breathe and focus on breathing, you can get back to the place where you can make a good decision. So I tell my kids often when they're freaking out about something, smell the brownies, blow out the candles. Right. And when you breathe in through your nostrils, you want to push your belly out. And when you blow out the candles you want to suck your belly in and so my my kids i hear them it's funny i hear them like teaching each other like my youngest will be flipping out sure. and Declan will be like hey smell the brownies and blow out the candles i'm like yeah he's doing it i i i tend to think that growing up in your family though wells if you would have told your older brother to smell the brownies he'd have punched you right in the gut <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. just if you start smelling toast you know Call a doctor because you could be having a stroke. So, but you seriously, um, you can apply this. To, you're in the you're in the car and and somebody almost hits you. Road rage, right? Breathe through your nose. Breathe, right? Yeah. So much of us because we're stressed, we don't breathe fully. We breathe through our yeah. mouth and we have short breaths. So deep belly breathing is just it's one of the greatest tools that can change your life. Yeah, if you practice it. You've had you've had some great uh, former players. Uh, current players and people now that are starting to not latch onto, but starting to partner with what you're building at soccer resilience. And I really want to encourage our audience, you know, Marissa later, we'll kind of give you guys the details of how to connect with Wells and with Dr. Brad and what they're building there. And without getting into like, I don't want to look at like big names as being a means to like show validity to what you're doing. But as you're building something, when you start having big names and well-known household names in the community of soccer start getting attached to what you're building, it, it shows some value that what you're doing and what you're building, people are acknowledging and responding to and want to be associated with. Can you kind of talk a little bit about as you guys are building what you're building at Soccer Resilience, as more doors are being opened for you to... Be, share this passion that you have with organizations and, and parents and players to have that responsibility to mentally train like they're 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 encouraging their players and student athletes to physically train talk a little bit about some of the doors that are being opened some of the opportunities that are there that kind of show that soccer resilience is a growing movement um, in the game of what we're building here domestically can you share a little bit about that yeah, so we have what we call, and I think you're alluding about our ambassadors, and um, it just grew organically. It all started with the captain of the U.S. men's national team, Walker Zimmerman, um, and Walker just, what I say about our ambassadors is they just believe in our mission and vision, right? Just using the sport to, ch to change the world. Uh, we really see our core target audience as youth soccer clubs, although we work with high schools, colleges, and even pros. Um, one ambassador I would like to point out is, is Kara Ricaro. 
Um, she mm -hmm. is partly the reason why the NWSL players all have leave for mental health. If they have issues, just like you have leave for physical health, she is a yeah. massive part of that. And so really, um, you know, I don't think that pro athletes are heroes. I don't. Um, I think that, um, you know, society wrongly uh, uh, uplifts pro athletes. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's it can be good, right, depending on how the pro athlete uses their platform. We just have amazing ambassadors like Walker who want to use their platform to give back and to help other people. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. having pros, uh, former pros, elite soccer coaches speak to kids. It's different than uh, their their mom or dad saying you should do these things. Right. Like you wow them with that. Yeah. Here's my championship ring. Been in the White House, won the MLS Cup, drafted fifth overall right. to, hey, you really should study your books because. I didn't read a full book till I was after college and then I was screwed. And I'm like, holy cow, there's a big world out there outside of soccer. And I wish I'd discovered that when I was younger. Right. 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 But you, yeah, but you could quote every Pac and Biggie song. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, right. You know, I mean, yeah. We, the, these are just, um, you know, Brant Bronico, George Marks, um, um, uh, Sam Lofton, a bunch of people that are on our website, but just people that believe yeah. in our mission and vision that give their time. Um, that help us. They they help deliver content. They speak into our content. Um, you know, our second core value at Soccer Resilience is, is better together. And so um, there is no such thing as a, as a self-made man or woman. We are all uh, better together. And so yeah. we're trying to, when we, when I, my heart is to build a team of diverse individuals that can fill a lot of gaps, that can speak to a lot of different things um, that, uh, uh, want to make the world a better place to the game of soccer. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'll share too, just for parents and for athletes that are, that are listening to this podcast is, you know, Wells, you, you had shared with me some access information to the content that you have on soccer resilience. And my daughter, uh, you know, about five, six weeks ago now, she's playing a tournament up North. And, you know, what we did is just kind of in the car ride over because about a 15 minute car ride over from where our hotel was to this like big tournament or whatever. Um, I just had to read the stuff for players, you know, pregame pregame stuff to go through. Not like it's like a pregame flight checklist for players, just just getting them in a in the zone of thinking about how they're going to think about thinking about how you're going to think about the game. Right. And learning those, those, just those exercises. It's like learning how to breathe um, it, for, for especially for younger athletes. And I can say personally that I learned a lot as a parent on where I need to lead my kiddos prior to the game, post game. It, it's given me a lot of tools of how to let my athlete be the athlete that they're going to be. But also as a parent, not worry so much about the product, but to love the person that I'm raising to be on the soccer field, on and off the field. My love doesn't and shouldn't change based on the results that are there um, and how to do that better. So parents, I would, I would highly encourage you to get in and get on soccerresilience.com and to start to glean some of the wonderful resources that they have. Um, you'll find that you're doing some things right. You'll find that you're probably doing some things wrong and that's okay. You know, I think that kids are, kids are so, uh, inviting their parents into participating in what they're doing. They, they want so bad for their parents to believe and hope in them. Children are so amazing and so resilient in that fact. We can, I learned so much from my kids about how to be a better dad. Um, and how many times oh, I screw yeah. up 
I and think so, I apologize more to my kids than they do to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's really good for kids to hear that. They Then they don't, like you said about athletes, to know that athletes still fail, that they struggle mentally. It helps players know that like, I don't have to be perfect so that I can one day be a professional player. Right. Humans make really yeah. poor, but we make poor idols. Right. Because we're really, we're deeply flawed and that's, yeah. but that's not all of who we are. Right. Um, but I just want to encourage the athletes and the, and the, the parents and the coaches and, and every, anybody involved in, in the, the game of soccer out there to really glean from the resources that soccer resilience is putting out. Um, because you're going to start to see that there's some really good tools that are there and it's not just bumper sticker, you know, little things, but these are, these are little pebbles that start to ping around in our brains, you know, like a grain of sand, you know, oyster that eventually become pearls, um, that, that really are helpful. Um, I, I want to kind of wrap things up wells and I, I want to really kind of just land the plane here, but, but if you had a couple things that you are talking now directly to our audience and being able to kind of share your heart, if people were to hear you're like, you're 30 second, like the culmination of all your experience and all of your passion and all your care. If you were able to talk just directly to the athlete, to the parent that are out there, you know, what, what would you kind of say to them that, that you yeah. really want them to take away from today's conversation? Yeah. I would ask you a question. I would say what percent, I would ask you what percentage do you think the mind plays in your sport and in life in general? Right. I mean, when we get on these calls, the last like raise your hand if you'd like to be told what to do. Me neither. I don't want to be told what to do. I want to yeah. figure it out for myself. And so we actually we want kids, parents, coaches to challenge us to push back. But the majority of people, we World Cup champions, right? Like uh, moms and dads, little kids, the 98 percent of people say it's 70 percent or higher. So if you're telling me 70 percent of sport in life is mental, then surely you're doing something to address your belief, right? Yeah. And uh, again, it's, you know, I think the world is coming around to that or people are starting to say, hey, yeah, you're right. There are certain practical, tangible things that we can do. And part of what we're trying to do is just dispel the belief that you go in a dark room for two hours, close your eyes, think about nothing. And that's how you train your brain, right? It's like, it's like brushing yeah. your teeth. Yeah. Like you want to incorporate it into your daily life, two, three minutes here and there. So really, and, and the thing that's really hard about it, it's not prescriptive. It's not like, hey, go run suicides for 100 days straight and you're going to be fit, right? Um, yeah. It's, it's, it, it's some, affirm, some people like affirmations right here. My kids love them. Some people don't. doesn't work for right. them, right? So it's, it's find what works for you, but try things. Um, the other thing that I would tell everyone is our first core value at Soccer Zanes is you're more than an athlete. You're more than a coach. You're more than a, a parent. You're more than how many times you screw up. You're more than your record. And at the end of the day, um, it's it, it's bigger than the game. We are bigger than the game. We're creating and we're trying to create and give kids, young kids, impressionable kids, tools and strategies to combat the crap and challenge and struggle that they're going right. to face already and later on in life. Because I believe the older you get, the harder life gets. Yeah. Resilience training begins before the challenges and before the failure and for the frustrations. That's what make, actually makes you resilient. Failure just brings those opportunities for you to push through, right? Um, you know, Wells, on our show, we always have one final question, uh, and I'll ask it to you now. Um, you've, got, you've got a wand. You've got a wave of your hand. You get to – you've got the lamp that you get to rub. You get one wish 
for soccer in America. You you get one sweeping congressional act to change something in our country in regards to the game of soccer. Um, and it has immediate and sweeping and intended effect. For you personally, what would you change and what effect would that have on the game in our country? Um, I think the best way to say is that everyone would be, would have access to play. Um, okay. There's a lot of people that are priced out right now. There's a lot of people that just don't have the means. They don't have a car. They can't get to them for a practice. So it's the, uh, the poorest person to the richest person in the world. They have the same opportunity to play soccer on a club, on a team, to be seen, to be scouted. And what does that do for the country? Everything, man. It changes everything, right? In, in every other country, uh, maybe most of every other country, it's a, it's a bottom-up sport. And here we're top yeah. down. You got to pay for everything. And so um, if I could have a wand, everyone would have access. Access. I love it. I love it. You know, that tends to be a common theme here. You know, it's not just that pro rel is the number one way to, to change things, but back to your quote about Nelson Mandela, sport brings people together. Mm -hmm. And in a country that is so divided currently and people live on, you know, all we hear is the 5% on either end that are the loudest voices everywhere. There's a lot of people who are not on the fringe. There's so much more that bring, that should be bringing us together than dividing us. Soccer is a wonderful way. And gosh, the World Cup can't get here soon enough, right? Soccer's, soccer is a wonderful way to bring a community together. Yeah. Um, and it really can help fight tribalism, especially in our country and the volatile way that we're being divided today. So yeah, if you, you had, know, go if out, I had another one, and kick the ball around with the kids media, in your neighborhood. All huh? social media, get rid of all social media. If I, had, if I had another thing of the wand, get rid of all social media. I just thinking about this past week, you know, freaking don't tweet about it. Don't Instagram about it. Just have a conversation about it. If you care about it, have a conversation about it. I just, yeah. You know, just social media is good and it can be good, but it's freaking killing kids. And I it just is can't stand it sometimes. It is. Yeah. If you're a youth player out there, man, get off, you know, it. be, be aware, don't build your brain, just, get just off be, it. Listen to us two old guys. Like, listen, listen, back in my day, we didn't have these things. Right. But, but this is also a little bit of wisdom going like, gosh, we can see this from a 30,000 foot view and it's a little bit of frog in a pot. Like, yeah, I get it. Um, let's get Marissa back in here. Marissa. Oh man, you were ready with the trigger. I love it. How you doing? Good I was to see waiting you. for you to say something. Yeah. You're like, let's go I, get me. You're, am, right, you're chomping at the bit, waiting at the gates. Tag, I'm tag, also, you're in. I'm also old and I wish that we didn't have social media, but yeah. uh, you know, um, I think Hopefully we'll be able to figure out a way where our kids can grow up and, you know, not have to deal with all the stuff that we're dealing with right now. I don't know. I mean, it remains to be seen. So I think I, I cannot wait to see this generation grow up because I think that they're they're learning some really hard lessons early on. We want to talk about resilience. I think that the Zoomers like the Gen Z and these kids right now have had to endure so much in their young lives. I'm very excited to see what this generation of young people, where they land and what they're able to produce in the world because of how much they've had to endure from such a young age. And I, and I want to believe in the best in, in, in yeah. the youth today, right? I want to, I want to believe the best um, because I think that it's so easy for us to just think of all the ways that this can go wrong. This could be the generation that actually um, surprises us 
And I want to start again, like you said, Wells, I want to start speaking that out there that like, yeah. I think, I think people need to hear that there's, there's, there's adults and there's, 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 you know, uh, people hitting that midlife crisis lane, like myself, like that believe that the world isn't going to hell in a handbasket, but that we're actually going to be able to have some, some kids that could, that could really change things in a positive sense. So the soccer geeks podcast believes in in you guys, uh, yeah. Marissa highlights from the conversation today that you want to kind of land like uh, highlight here for us. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go all the way back to towards the beginning where, um, Wells, you were talking about how your parents, um, were, telling you that you had a gift and your gift is to give back and uh, love other people. So I think, you know, every time I, I get to talk about soccer with people, new fans, you know, leading up to the world cup, super excited about that because I know there's a lot of people that are not into it the way all three of us are into it. And so these are just opportunities <laughs> um, you know, for conversations, like you said, Wells, you know, have those conversations be present for the, um, you know, to talk about soccer, but how that could, how that changed, you know, yeah. or that, how that could change. Like some people, for example, for me, I went, I was, I'm able to travel and go to all these places and form friendships and relation. I didn't play, but like I play in my mind with, you know, um, you know, watching the games and stuff like that. So, you know, that's what I, that's, that's what I tell people, Marissa. The suck, the greatest thing soccer ever gave me. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but okay. it's it's seeing the world and traveling. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know, I mean, I think um, you know, also the whole thing about fa failure. Um, you know, without the th the resilience that you had to get through what you needed to do, um, you may have not been here today to give the wisdom that's needed. So, yeah. um, you know, we have to fail and fail, fail forward. As I say, I mean, yeah. this applies in so many different ways and yeah. I've heard a lot, but it's good to get those reminders. So, yeah. Well, so uh, if our audience wanted to connect with you, what's the best way for everybody to, to find you, to, to connect with you? Yeah. Soccer resilience. We're on all the social channels. Um, look down there, you see it. You can email me, wells at soccerresilience.com. I actually gave him my phone number. You can text me, call me, 336-575-3324. I bet you won't call me. I bet you won't. Ooh, that's, that's, um, yeah, now you, You'll have to let that's us so funny. Actually I love the fact. I love the fact that you're putting your phone number. You know, Wells, I want to leave our audience with one last thing. It's just one other little sticker that you sent sent to me that I just absolutely love. I can't even – I don't even want to put it on something because I just want to carry it around <laughs> with me everywhere I go. But it says make today count. Could be your Make next tattoo, account, Jason. So. We oh, need, oh, we yeah. need to, uh, Wells, you got to hook me up with some stickers. Cause yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta, me your address. I'll send them to you. Will, Wells, we'll hang out a little bit backstage, but I want to wrap up everything, uh, to our, to our guests listening to, um, and our listeners listening to the show today. Wells, I just want to say on behalf of everybody, thank you for the conversation that you've had with us today. Thank you for thank sharing, you. uh, not only your experience, but your expertise in, in living a life that's failing and moving forward and trying to leave the world a better place than you found it, leave the game a better place. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of soccer geeks and the podcast and everything that we're building here. Thank you for doing everything you can to make the game better in our country. And I want you to know that you're improving more than one soccer player's life in this country. And every player that's out there that listens and engages with what you're doing 
is worth what you guys are building. So thanks so much for what you're doing. Thanks for being on the show. And we can't wait to have you back in the future. So thanks awesome. again. Loved it. Honor, pleasure. Can't awesome. wait to thanks, be back. Buddy. Bye.